Welcome to a world of exploration, thought, and discussion, sequentially through 156 episodes of Rod Serling's seminal classic, The Twilight Zone. Welcome to Submitted for Your Approval. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Submitted for Your Approval, a Twilight Zone podcast. With me today, our guest... Wayne Gladstone, the author of the Internet Apocalypse Trilogy, as well as a former Cracked columnist, creator and star of Hate by Numbers, and freelancer for such a reputable sites as The Onion, Paste, Thrillist, and Slate. Mr. Gladstone, thank you so much for coming on the show. Mr. Gladstone, you can call me Wayne. Thank you very oh. <laughs> much. Happy to be here. Some of those uh, freelancing credits you gave were also in the past, along with Cracked. But yes, I have contributed to all those places at at one point or another. Uh, thank you for mentioning them. <laughs> Absolutely. Wayne, uh, th- thank you again for coming on the show. Uh, the first time I ever heard of you was, in fact, Cracked. Mm-hmm. And uh, my wife and I used to crack up. <laughs> um, I don't get it. I don't. I don't either. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, it's it's a it's the drugs and post New Year's. <laughs> so. uh, but uh, the hate by numbers that that's that's the first place we saw you. And uh, so uh, when I saw you were doing a Twilight Zone podcast yourself, I said, let me let me reach out to the, this guy, uh, see if his fame lets him. Uh, talk to to us peons. And yeah, that's yeah, you know because the the HBN boy it made me uh, millions and made me wildly <laughs> famous you know one one did go very viral and it's unfortunate because it has a joke in it that i'm 10 years later ashamed of but it's still the most viral thing so i put a little apology in the uh in the uh, youtube uh, description of it but no uh other than being recognized about three times from that that's about it so no it didn't uh, it didn't go to my head no, the one guy re- one way to recognize me in a restaurant from hate by numbers and uh, said, oh, yeah, you, you do that show on BuzzFeed. So even that was kind of <laughs> not exactly correct. Yeah. But hey, at least uh, at least you're associated with BuzzFeed with one person. <laughs> True or false? Well, matter. you know, BuzzFeed, BuzzFeed was very influential to the whole Internet. Um, first in, in the style of monetizing, everyone copied them. And then they were very uh, influential in the way they fired a bunch of people. The rest of the internet did that too. So they've really always been a, uh, a groundbreaker, a trendsetter, so to speak. That's fan- That's fantastic. Uh, well, let's, let's, let's not talk about uh, how wonderful internet companies are. Let's talk about how wonderful this show is. And the episode that we chose today, The Passerby, is one of your favorites, and I want to talk about that here in a little bit. But it originally aired in October 6th, 1961. Stars Joanne Linville as Lavinia, James Gregory as the Sergeant, and Austin Green as Old Honest Abe. Directed by Elliot Silverstein, who uh, he directed four other episodes. Well, he directed four total, Spur of the Moment, Traden's Passerby, obviously, and The Obsolete Man, which is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. And teleplay by Rod Serling. Uh, now, now, I almost called you Mr. Gladstone again, and you're about to yeah, leave the just podcast. Just call me Wayne, yeah, or Gladstone, but the Mr. Gladstone's creepy. <laughs> that's that's my mother's name. Um, you, creepy? me, and I know it's you, me, and IMDb synopses is the game. Wayne, here's what I do: I say a synopsis, you say a synopsis, and then we compare to the IMDb synopsis. Okay. And so I will start. 
because the well no you go ahead and start i don't know okay. why i have if, a start of this episode the synopsis of this episode yes uh after the civil war a southern woman sitting on her porch watches all the soldiers returning home until she slowly realizes that she as well as all those soldiers are dead and on their path to the afterlife Ooh. That's, that's Did it in a that's sentence, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, that is that is one sentence, and I'm I am proud of you. And it it's makes me... hard. I asked my guests to summarize it in a sentence too, and they almost never can. You know, maybe you know I, the only maybe... ones who can the TV critic guests. They're the best at doing <laughs> it in a sentence. Uh, maybe I maybe I stole this from you. You know, maybe. <laughs> maybe... No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't give you that. Oh, okay, good. I exactly. I didn't steal this information. Uh, we are summarizing the same source content, so hopefully they are similar synopses. <laughs> they are. Here's here's my here's my one sentence synopsis. A woman has a hard time letting grief pass her by. That's it. That's that. Wow, that's, that's uh, very acute <laughs> and, and 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 vague, but true. Uh, you know, I, I try to keep these things as short as I can. All right, what does the IMDb synopsis say? The, the IMDb synopsis says, While headed home, a Confederate soldier meets an anguished woman at the end of the Civil War. Yeah, that's yeah, a bad synopsis. You want to know why? Why is that? Our synopses are both better than that because she's the protagonist. He's not. Hey, it's yeah. her story. It, it is. Uh, and, and I, I want to talk about that. We might as well get talk about that right now. The fact that this episode is called The Passerby. Well, wait a second. I have to, I'm sorry, it's rude. And I know this is going to make you feel like an asshole. And I know it's going to make me seem like a dick. But please don't let either of those things happen because I only learned this this year. <laughs> You're doing what I did for a long time. You're saying the episode wrong. It's not the passerby. As I learned this year, the it's the passer. No, it's the passers by. Oh, so I know that it sounds obnoxious, but I, Brandon, all I can tell you is I learned that too. It was pointed out to me this year as well, and it's my favorite episode. So please don't feel I'm being too, too much of an asshole or trying to make you feel like a dick. But oh. it's actually called the Passers By. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you so much. And you know, I I've looked at IMDb like seventy times in the last last day and a half I'd, i had watched the episode 30 times before <laughs> before i learned that someone Jesus. had to tell me so God. i'm really not but i had to i let it go the first four times and then i just said let me let me school brandon in a way that'll be as shame as shaming <laughs> uh, as possible so that he all sense of uh uh, belief in himself will be shattered for the rest of the podcast, and then I will take over because he'll be in a fetal position going, I, can't, can't, no, no, no mas, no mas. By the way, it's not like a Latino joke. Uh, that was just <laughs> kind of no mas. Uh, and, it's, it's a cruise thing, isn't it? Yeah, it wasn't, is what I'm saying, but now now I sound like the asshole. And then <laughs> I was going to, it was kind of like a Highlander thing, is what I'm saying. It was kind of going to head to head and be like, listen to Intangible Quarter, a podcast that knows how to pronounce the episodes. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not that I'm going to pull it back from you because you know you're my guest and you can you can have as much. Wait a control. second, I, you know this is my fault. You didn't announce in the introduction that I'm the host of the Intangible Quarter podcast, but I guess I didn't put that in my little email you didn't introduction put it in your to bio. you. <laughs> I know, I know. You know, it, look, it's the only credit that matters for today. I just created that form 
And I just, and you know, it's, it's new, it's new. You tried it out. You didn't put in your bio, the most important thing you want to talk about. That's true. It's my fault, but also I am (laughs) terrible at filling out forms. Terrible. I got, I put down the wrong bank account in my uh, tax returns last year and they were sent to, my refund was sent to the wrong account. It took me four months to get it, to get it back. So the very I'm bad at forms, but the very nature of forms is that they simplify everything. How do not you me? Not me, man. <laughs> uh, let me. Okay. So, One... Sorry, I'll stop. I'll stop telling you why you suck. Again, the passers, you the passers by yes, throw, throws me off, and I've even written even written down in the show notes. That just it's a silent ass. Uh, but also, <laughs> I also read that uh, at one point in time they considered calling it the passerbys, which I don't think that's. I think that... it should be called the passerby because maybe they should just come up with a whole new title. Yeah, because the... passersby is awkward as shit. The wanderers, the road people, <laughs> come wanders with me. <laughs> all right. Well, enough enough of us uh, having that all wrong, but you having it right. Me mostly wrong. And uh, this, since this is your favorite episode, why don't you lead the way and yeah. tell me what your thoughts are? Well, it didn't used to be my favorite episode. In fact, I used to think it was a mediocre episode. But the more I watched it and the more I thought about it, the more I liked it. And the reason I guess I now call it my favorite episode when I used to say five characters was my favorite episode and it's still one of my favorites is because... Uh, I can watch it the greatest number of times. Uh, I can watch it over and over and over again, more than any other episode. It is has a beautiful score, which only a handful of Twilight Zone episodes have. I can think of Walking Distance with Bernard, Bernard Herrmann has a beautiful score, and this is a beautiful score. Very rare for Twilight Zone to have that. It has an absolutely gorgeous set that is half-like feel like you're watching a play and then when it cuts out to the road even though it looks fake even though you can tell it's a matte painting it's just the way the the stage work and the matte painting it's beautiful leading to the final shot which i think is the most beautiful shot in the entire series then you've got two of the best performances uh in the twilight zone uh canon uh and uh, lastly um, I, I what I like about this is my some really my favorite thing in literature and film. I like uh when the audience slowly realizes things along with the characters. So for me, this this episode is like After Hours, or this not this episode is like Nightmare as a Child, mm-hmm. or this episode is like the movie The Machinist, or this episode is like my first novel, Notes from the Internet Apocalypse, because that's what I like. Or, uh, on or Amazon si- and bookstores. Right, <laughs> internet-apocalypse.com. You can cite to lead you to all the links to buy it. But the point is, it's not the kind of trick ending where you go, what? Like, it's a cookbook. <laughs> You kind of know what's up all along. You just don't have all the facts. You don't know the exact nature of it, and you slowly realize it. And I find that kind of quote-unquote twist ending more satisfying than, like, the cheap thrill of a dun-dun-dun. It's like a quiet, continual, progressive twist ending, and I just love it. Right, yeah. It it would be, you know, it's the final 30 minutes of a movie where the twist happens rather than just that real quick endorphin rush of whoa hey there it is something's 
that's that's not what I was expecting at all. Well, I don't know. Have you seen like like Shutter Island or Reddit or, or yeah. Machinist? Yeah, like it's absolutely. it's not even the final thirty. It's really like they start dropping clues right from the beginning, but you kind of feel what's going to happen in your gut before your head knows. And then when those two things join, it's a very satisfying feeling. Uh, some prick on Goodreads once said of my first novel, <laughs> I saw the ending coming. It's like, do you think it's because I started laying foreshadowing literally on page five? But, it, but and, and really, those are the best kind of twists to me. The ones that are established throughout whatever we're watching or reading. For me, it is. I mean, now, you know, yeah. teach their own, but like, that's what I find rewarding because I think that even though the Twilight Zone is so um, fantastical, and and not real um what makes it most rewarding are the things that is when it feels most real when it takes this foreign thing and it makes it feel real and and i feel life is like that like twist endings and surprises are happening in our life all the time except that we kind of dread them and see them coming until they finally come, but we kind of knew, not if someone gets hit by a bus, right? But like, you know, other things like, ah, oh, and you did get fired after all, or oh, that job did pan out, or oh, she did leave you. Like, you feel these things <laughs> coming, and the clues are all there. Oh, that person is having an affair. And it's a big shocking moment, but when you look back, you sort of knew all along. So uh, that, to me, resonates more and is more satisfying than, uh, it's a cookbook! <laughs> Which is a great episode, but I don't watch that one over and over again because why? Because you know the twist. Because it's, yeah, because, because to me that episode is about the twist. Yeah. What's enjoyable about it is the twist. So it's like a joke you've already heard before, or a one-liner you've already heard before. Right, and and that and it can only be funny so many times. Right, you know. So that's me. I know yeah. that that is not true for a lot of people uh, who consider themselves Zone fans. But uh, I think those people, uh, what's the literary word for that? Are fucking idiots. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Casual yeah. fans and fucking idiots. Oh no, I gotta beat that out. Just kidding. I'm not at all. Uh, oh yeah, you didn't. I'm not allowed to curse. No, you can't. I, I don't care. Oh, okay. Um, and if anybody does care, I apologize. I, I'm not. What is this like on the Mormon network? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. In the I, Twilight I was, Zone. Uh, you can beat me out. I apologize. No, 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 no. Don't, 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 don't apologize. You're my, you're my guest. And guest uh, is, I, said, is I said fuck at 14 minutes in, and then I said it again <laughs> at 14 minutes and 28 seconds in. So if you want to write that down. So yeah. if you put, uh, if anyone's listening, please go ahead and, and put that in your iTunes review. Uh, yeah. So also, uh, I have a feeling that at 14 minutes and at 43 seconds. Fuck, I'm going to say it again. Yes. Okay. There you go. All that right, is I'm a, done. That, that's a benefit of us sharing a, a time. Uh, that way. We oh, right. But it. you might edit this out and then it'll all be confused. It's not happening. No, I mean, like, you might tighten it up in the beginning. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Nonsense. Tighten, tighten nothing up. Uh, you mentioned the two beautiful performances. Yeah. The, the two most beautiful performances in the Twilight Zone. Uh, up can there, you, yeah. Why, why are they, in your mind, the two most beautiful performances well not necessarily the top two I, and you're talking I, about I put, you're talking I about charlie both, i put them both <laughs> in the top 20 probably in the top 10 um she is so great um by the way i did some research once she was uh, mark ruffalo's uh, acting teacher Ooh, good to yeah. know 
Yeah, and apparently she taught Mark Ruffalo to, like, always talk like his teeth don't exactly fit in his mouth. That's like the big Mark Ruffalo, like, uh, acting technique. He's always kind of like, are these my teeth? They don't feel right in my gums. Um, or maybe he picked that up on his own. That's the trick. His teeth are always like that. Yeah, so um, I don't know. She's just good. It's very stagey. Some people might say it's no good because it's like a stage performance, not a television performance, and that maybe it's too big for a small screen. And I think, I think they might be right. I mean, I think that might be a valid criticism, but I do also feel like she made the choice to play it that way. And I would like to see this as a play. And the set looks like a play more than any other Twilight Zone set, you know? Yeah. I can think of. So it feels right. Um, and um, and he, you know, there's only one problem with him. It's not his performance. He's um, He's too damn old for the role. It makes no sense. Talks about he's like fifty years old. He talks about how proud his pappy was when he went off to war. Like <laughs> when your when your father was like seventy, he was finally proud of you going off to what you're supposed to be in your like twenties. What the fuck is going on? War ages people, man. He's he's the wrong age for it, but it's an amazing performance. I think he, I wish he had been in more episodes. He's the a quintessential real compassionate salt of the earth. Twilight Zone actor, and you know, very much in the Jack Klugman school, and uh, I don't know, man. I, yeah. I just, I, I can't tell you why it's good. I just, he just feels so much. It's also because it's one of the best scripts, I think, and some of the best dialogue. Ma'am, wh- why don't you go away from here? <laughs> this place is no good for you. And if you don't mind me saying so, you, you let poison like that sit on your brain. I just, oh, I, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear anymore. I don't want to talk of butcher and bloodshed. Oh, it's just so ah that, that those those alliter- that alliteration right there is is really powerful, which Rod loves an alliteration. But yeah, although it is funny, he he like asks permission like a little bit too much in the first like thirty seconds of the uh, of the episode. Ma'am, do you mind if I uh, have some of your water? Oh, ma'am, do you mind if I sit down? Oh, ma'am, do you mind if I play a few cards <laughs> in my get box? Oh, ma'am, I'm gonna put my leg over my other leg would you mind if i do i have an itch behind my ear ma'am would it be all right with you if i were to scratch that itch you know it's a little too much uh i mean really what he should have done is just been like ma'am can i have permission to do a bunch of stuff ma'am could you put a collar around my neck and i could be your dog and you could tell me what to do and fetch and where my water pail is can I do stuff by exception only? Like, you just tell me if you don't want me to do it, like, as, as it happens. Ma'am, I'm going to give you a bell. <laughs> and if something <laughs> so happens that I should do that, does that mean with your You ring that bell, I will stop. <laughs> uh, this guy's so mad. You know, it makes, makes sense that he was, uh, you know, he, he died at some point. Being time. dead can give you the worst, you know, attitude. I know, I know that, that that's right. Uh, I do want to say that I agree with you on his acting because he he does seem so. He, uh, sometimes the actors in the Twilight Zone can come off, especially when they come uh, when it starts being like this kind of like speech. Uh, yeah. can, they can come off as kind of kind of contrived and and wooden. Uh, and and he his little uh, his little monologue there doesn't come off as that. It comes off as sincerely genuine. And I appreciate that about him. Yeah. And, and even when he's when he's playing the Git Box, which mm-hmm. 
is a, a fantastic name for that thing. Uh, and and she's talking in the background. She's up on the step behind him, and she he's just kind of reacting to her mm-hmm. as he's continuing to strum. Just yes, it's subtle. It's subtle and a. And a the, they. Fantastic. I watched that again today. They they listen to each other. Yeah. Very very well. They are not passively listening. That you really feel like two people who are barely who barely know each other are being kind to each other and trying to politely listen and are taking some joy from the contact, but are making an effort to make sure that the other person really feels that they are enjoying their story because they don't want them to stop talking and they appreciate the connection. Yeah, absolutely. Um, She goes, my husband has very kind, man. The, The frogs would come and listen to him sing. And he's like, I bet they would now. It's like, you know, it's like going the extra mile to be like... Yeah. Yes, I'm sure your husband had such an, you know, fantastic voice that it was supernaturally <laughs> wonderful that it tamed the wildlife. I I also like to read that scene as in he's like I just need to I just need to rest a little bit and I needed some water and she's going to keep talking and that's fine. But I, I don't really want to talk to her <laughs> that much. <laughs> well, right, right, but I mean, right, exactly. But they they I feel like they're going out of their way to be polite. Yeah. And she is too when he talks about my old pappy said, you know, you're nothing but much, mush and sad ballad, you balladia. And she's like, I have this sewing to do. <laughs> uh, she's she's a fantastic woman. And a great actress in an episode of, uh, she's a uh, Klingon. No, a Romulan in Star Trek. Ooh. She's the Romulan who tries to seduce uh, uh, Spock. Interesting. Look at you. Look at you. Look at you. Yeah. You do. You put a lot more uh, effort into finding out what these people were in. Other well, than I, I, uh, <laughs> this year I went. To, I rewatched the original series of uh, Star Trek again this year, and I was like, "Oh yeah, there's there's my girl. There there she is." And she's like sexing it up. They got her in like a little tight little mini mini skirt, and not and not a Southern Belle type type dress. No, no, she doesn't have the big hoop dress on. <laughs> like everything she's, she's in, she just has that same dress. Uh, my tarnation, ta- the Federation has come to visit <laughs> my little old bird of prey. <laughs> our, our species were once the same, but you did follow a logical path while we are more warlike. Yeah, that didn't happen. <laughs> no, that did it. Um, oh, let me ask you a question, Wayne. Um, I, I have this question about this episode, uh, because I, I don't know if the Confederacy has had always been romanticized as much yeah, after the war. A, this is a good question. Yeah. And I just, I, I don't know. I want to explore this kind of idea yeah. real quick, especially since Serling is from the Northeast. That's right. Um, and uh, the, even Judd, uh, Lavinia's husband his his name is a reference to a guy he was in the war with who they used oh, yeah? to argue about the north and south <laughs> like oh, that yeah? the south should have won yeah it was kind of like a like an in joke about no, I didn't know that that's that. cool uh but but that's the thing like Serling did the teleplay he's he's a yank yep um wh- why what is he's this a yank for? let's go even clearer go ahead. he's a he's a northeast liberal jew committed to civil rights even way before he was famous, all right? When he was in college, he would get his hair cut at the only barber in town that would deign to also cut uh, black people's hair. 
Right. Yeah. And he would scold other pe- students if they didn't go to solicit this guy's shop because he felt this barber deserved all their business because he was the only one who didn't have a segregation policy. So, yes, he's a he's a he's a northeast liberal Jew committed to the civil rights. And yet when he writes about the Civil War, it's always from the southern perspective and he never makes the southerners look like shit. Yes. <laughs> you've got you've got this. You've got um Still Valley, where uh that Southerner is in the dying days of the war and they get a book on black magic that would let the South win the war, and that guy says, No, I won't use black magic because we're good Christians and if we do this, then we'll be damn Yankees, just like them. So they, they look very honorable there. And let's see, back there, I guess well John Wilkes Booth looks like a piece of shit, but that's fair enough. <laughs> um I feel like there's another one. Um uh, right, and then you take something like I Am the Night, Color Me Black, and it's clearly supposed to be in the South, but they don't set it in the South right? because they don't make the South look bad. It's set in like the Midwest. Uh, I think on something like I Am the Night, Color Me Black, that's just the, the networks telling him he couldn't set it in the South. But as far as the Civil War, I really don't know except to say this. Um, <clears throat> looking back on it now, I think we are rightly critical of the South, and we rightly reject people who go, well, that was actually a war about states' rights. Oh, fuck off. It was about preserving <laughs> slavery, which was an indefensible institution. But, um, but you've got someone like Rod who fought in World War II, who fought against the Japanese, who saw his brethren killed by Japanese— who, I don't know if he personally killed Japanese, but I know certainly he was about to be shot by a Japanese soldier, and he froze, and another of his, one in his company, shot the Japanese soldier over Rod's shoulder, and the soldier died in front of him, so it was good for Rod to be 5'5 that day. Um, um, but the point is, uh, despite being at war with the Japanese, he comes back and he writes an episode like uh, Quality of Mercy, right? Mm-hmm. Which which all is all about showing the Japanese as no better or worse than the Americans. No more prone to war nor peace than the Americans. No more savage nor civilized than the Americans. So if, if he can have that kind of even-handedness against even the people that were his quote-unquote enemy in the war, I guess he takes that view towards the Civil War. And for me even though I think the South gets a little bit of a free ride here. To me, this episode is a dramatic, symbolic representation of the Gettysburg Address. When Lincoln went to Gettysburg from the North, he deliberately gave a non-divisive speech because in his eyes, everyone who died there was an American citizen. He didn't recognize the secession. And he said, we recognize these honored dead, North and South, together. And I feel that's what this episode is doing, what that speech did. The, the, the soldiers, whether they're north, north or South, they're marching the same road, they're going to the afterlife. And Lincoln is coming up the road behind them to make sure all his children get there. So while there is a part of me that feels the South is romanticized and upsets me, um, I I personally reconcile that by viewing the episode as a symbolic representation of the Gettysburg Address. 
I I ask I ask the the romanticized part. Uh, would you have make, make very good points on that? Uh, n- not only in the context of of this episode, but um, just maybe a larger scope of, of to, a societal question, really. Um, how how do what? Because when I was growing up, one hundred percent honest, I didn't I didn't know that uh, the the General Lee on Dukes of Hazard was was sporting something that many liberals cons- consider so negative, right? Um, yeah, we didn't know that. We didn't think about it. I didn't, we just did, thought of General Lee. Yeah, I was like, oh, hey, jump over another bush and then uh, fix the chassis <laughs> in post. Um, right, well, we we thought of it as, I think we, I don't know how old you are, but... Uh, 36. All right, I'm older than you, so... Yay. so. Uh, um, but, <laughs> like, when I was a little kid, one of the earliest things I saw on TV was Roots. So a hatred of 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 the clan a a deep uh a deep empathy for for black people just from a tv show uh was born into me by the time i was five and being a little jewish boy i also was like hey man good you blacks and jews we should just all get together and kick all those fucking white crackers this is what i'm thinking as as a five-year-old who's who knows about the holocaust and also knows about slavery from roots so but even having that and then being raised on every fucking Norman Lear show and, you know, Jefferson's and Good Times. And, you know, like, I'm not saying I understood the black community. I didn't. I was a stupid white boy from the subur- suburbs. But, like, my heart was in the right place. I, I was a good liberal for what it was worth, which is <laughs> nothing. But the point is, yeah. my heart was in the right place. But when I would hear about, like, the Civil War, I didn't see those soldiers as slave owners. I saw them as soldiers. And so I saw General Lee as just like a general. There was something that was compartmentalized. Again, I'm not saying this is correct. I'm saying this is what was in my child's mind. Yeah. There was, a, there was a something compartmentalized between the soldiers and the people on the plantations. And that's stupid and naive, but that's how it was. So, yeah, when I would watch the Dukes of Hazard and I think of the General Lee, I, I wasn't thinking about what that represented at all. Yeah. Yeah, and and for me, I sometimes feel that the Twilight Zone was was a big part in, in shaping my uh, worldview. Oh yeah. Um, in 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 my liberalism, and and then I then episodes like this where I'm like, you know, for a young for a for a kid, a kid who can't distinguish between the slave owners and the soldiers, seeing everything really at, at face value. A kid, I see this episode and I say, "Oh, look! See, look! Everyone, these the Confederates and the Yankees." Like when she's saying the the they come down like blue locusts. Oh, that's a great what as, a great line, right? As a kid, I'm like, "Yeah, fucking Yankees," <laughs> but I'm like, "Wait a minute!" Now as an adult, I I'm a I'm a Yankee, right? Well, that, I'm not. But the, you know what? You know what? I realized this is interesting. I, I recently started getting into Buster Keaton films. Oh, nice. And I watched The General, which yeah. is arguably his most famous film, best film. Although, I have to say, I've seen two full Buster Keaton films now, and I, I prefer Sherlock Jr. to The General. But anyway, uh, The General is a Civil War story, and it's based on a true story. And in the true story, the hero is a northerner. It's a northerner who thwarts an attempt to like blow up a train track to help the north. 
And Buster Keaton, in making it a movie, made the protagonist the South because he said he couldn't see audiences viewing the South as the bad guys. And I was so confused because I was like, all right, it's the 30s. I know everyone's racist. I got that. I'm not expecting that the North is going to be like, oh, I, we feel so bad about the way the black community was. Com- com-. But but I was still like, but the North still went to war with the South. They still killed each other. Why would you have a hard time viewing them as the bad guys? And I think part of the answer is, is what people told me. The South lost. The South got fucked up. <laughs> The South were a defeated nation. So if you take slavery out for a second, they're the ones who got their asses kicked, their towns burned. They were defeated. So there's this natural kind of empathy for them. And to cast them as the heavy is sort of the thought was, this isn't me, it's like kicking them when they're down. And I think some of it comes from that. Yeah, that, that I, would, I would say that makes sense. That makes sense in the, the logic of that, right, to the, even if you're watching any sports game, uh, sports game, I think that's what they say. Sports game, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, uh, Whether it's uh, the sticky pucky or uh, <laughs> pigskin runny. Yeah. Oh man, I love or those balls. I love those games with their their nachos. Um, th- that if you are an impartial viewer of these these games, that you naturally you always end up rooting for the underdog. You're like, right. Yeah. Right. Oh God, the Patriots are winning again. Whoever they're playing, I'm rooting for them. Right. Um, so in, in, in that respect, Buster Keaton, I think would be, I, I see his point. Yeah. Although when Disney remade it in the fifties or sixties as more historical and less slapstick, they, they return the story back to a Northern protagonist. And even then Buster Keaton's like, Nah, you made a mistake. And it was a f- and it was a flop. And and everyone hated Disney for it and they're now a failed company. Is that true? No, I don't know. I haven't oh, seen I don't it. well I thought that might be true because I don't know the Disney. I just know that it was like the great train something or whatever when Disney did it. I don't I, know. I didn't know it was a thing. And that's that's how much I know about so it. So she might be right. It might have been a flop. Who knows? Yeah. Uh the the road, the road that they're all walking on, uh mm-hmm. it's very reminiscent of the hunt um mm. this is a question the, you know there's no right or wrong answer but is it the a similar road or is it in like the same kind of uh, county what are we asking thematically or is <laughs> it like shooting on the same lot yeah i mean if we we're like oh here's a connected universe of the twilight zone oh is this nah, i don't know <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that. It's probably whatever lot was free on like Desi Liu Studios that week. I have no fucking idea. Come but on, uh, it's a much better set than The Hunt. The Hunt is like one little wooden interlinked fence. This thing is some serious interplay of uh, matte painting and uh, prop work. And um, the score, uh, man, it really creates the mood. But uh, I don't know. It's your podcast, but I have a wonderful theory about this episode Do that it. I haven't that I haven't delivered. And I don't know the best time to do it. You don't, you, you know what? Here, here, let me, let me, let me set it up for you. Hey Wayne, uh, thank you for answering my stupid road <laughs> question. Uh, what other thoughts do you have? Well, it's really about the road. No, um, so, <laughs> you son of a bitch. So, so the thing is they're all dead and they're walking to the afterlife, right? That is true. And Lincoln comes last. Mm-hmm. So 
so all these passers-by. My theory is that much like the military rank, the military rank they hold okay. um, corresponds to their level of awareness to where they are going. Generals make the decisions, privates follow orders. So we see the first guy is Charlie Constable. He's a private. And he's walking down the road like a moth to the light. And he's almost mindless. And he's in a daze. And he's like, I don't need my back. I'm going to go. Oh, hi, Lavinia. How you doing? I, I got to go. I got to go. Mm, I'm so close. He's like reflexive. He's not thinking. He's just under a spell. And then the next one we see is, well, he's the first one we see coming down the road. But this, the, the very first person is our, is our per, not our protagonist. The, the but sergeant. The, the sergeant, which is just above a private, higher than a private. And so he's walking. He's not like in a mindless daze. He, but he goes like, you know what? I am, I am tired. I think I'll have some, some water. But he, he doesn't know quite as much. Then the next one is the blind guy who's from the north, and he's a colonel. He's a l- lieutenant. Lieutenant. Yeah. Lieutenant. He's higher still, right? And he stops, and he's thirsty, and he's more coherent than than uh, Charlie Constable, who's just like, uh, gotta go, light, almost there, uh, uh, Lavinia. Uh. Um, but I don't think he fully has his mind, because when the sergeant says, hey, don't I know you? He's like, yes, it's possible. He's like, yeah, I seem to remember the way he goes, go on, tell me, what do you remember? It's almost like he's like, yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah something, go, right? Go. What? Yeah, tell me, what is that? Yeah. Yeah. Two he words, knows two words. Sounds right, like. No, it's like it's like he knows more than the sergeant, but even he's not a hundred percent sure. He's like, yeah, yeah, no, like convince me, yeah, like give me a little bit more to like. And he tells him, and he's like, ah, yeah, that's right, I'm dead. And so, go ahead, shoot me, bitch. Oh, it didn't work. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I wish you well. I certainly do wish you well. And then he goes, and then uh, Judd Lavinia's husband comes home, and he is a captain. He's a captain, right? He's even higher. He knows the deal. He's like, yes, Lavinia, we're dead. It's like a song. And by the way, bitch, you're dead too. Uh, mine came at Yellow Tavern, and you came here with a fever. And by the way, we say that it's not a surprise ending, and it's not a surprise ending because you do realize they're dead. But actually, finding out that she's dead, I think is a bit of a surprise. That's why she can see them. I never, it never occurs to me that she had a fever and died on that porch so it, it has like a slow reveal and a quick dun, dun, dun reveal so i think it's great so he knows everything and then who comes up last lincoln commander-in-chief mm-hmm. he knows everything and he knows exactly what the road is he talks of death he's coming up last he's guiding all his children he wants to bring her along too so sort of this is like one more chain of command, one last march. And like any military march, the people at the highest level know where and why and when and what. And the most lower you go down the command, the more you're just following orders and going where you're supposed to go. And that's, I think, uh, a theory that holds up uh, and makes this the episode not only more enjoyable, but makes me look so fucking smart just saying it out loud. <laughs> So I like it for that reason. You know, that is a that is a very good catch of the progressive rank structure of Thank you. of Death Road. Um you you 
it's I, I mean I can't I can't top it. I can't top it. No, I you know what? I would try. I don't think anyone can. I think it's the smartest thing I've ever said about the Twilight Zone, and I think you'd be hard pressed to beat me. For those listening, if you think you can top it, send it <laughs> over to Wayne Gladstone. <laughs> Uh, and by the w. way, Gladstone by the Twitter. way, we were supposed to do this episode a month ago, and then there was a snow you had to cancel it. So I got this like killer erection to like say that on air, and then you canceled because it snowed, quote unquote, and your airline was you know canceled quote and unquote. delayed because you have a quote unquote job which you depend on for living and eating, you know. So you canceled, and I just did I've, the episode by myself. I've uh, made on worse lies. Pub. On my own podcast, <laughs> because I couldn't wait to talk about my super smart theory. Damn it. Uh, Damn it. So, I, uh, it could have premiered here, but fucking I messed no, up. No, no, I know. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I, I thoroughly saturated the internet with that episode. <laughs> uh, it went viral in several nations, yeah. so I don't think anyone will listen to you now. More viral than your hate by numbers viral video. Yeah, well, at least it didn't have a joke about the trans community in it like oh, the hate my numbers thing did. Too, too, well, I guess it's yeah, not no, too no, 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 it was, it's not, it was too not late. a hateful joke, it's just a weak hack joke and uh, I wish I had never made it. Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> crap, I had a thought. Oh, it's about Abe Lincoln. Uh, yeah. Good president. Good, good president. Preserve the union. He died. Maybe if he had better protection. I watched Godfather 3 and, you know, I feel like that plot of Godfather 3 was a assassination attempt on Michael. It's very similar to how Abe died, but whatever. It doesn't matter. At the at the opera. Yeah, at, at the opera. Um, mm-hmm. Well, if only Abe had a daughter to take the bullet for him, he might have still lived. If only he had Sofia Coppola to take the bullet for him. Daddy? <laughs> um, I, I, I really enjoy this episode. But every time Abe Lincoln shows up, I kind of I, I cringe just a little bit because it seems, um, I don't know, too on the nose, maybe. Well, I don't know what to say to you because I understand how you feel, but I totally disagree. But just to be diplomatic. <laughs> so I saw this, ch- this episode as a child, I'm pretty sure. And then I didn't see it for many, many years. And then when it came out on, when these came out on Netflix, you know, several years ago, I watched them all again. And that's when I became a, it was always deeply in my DNA from childhood, but that's when I became like an aficionado, like watching them over and over again, like five, six, seven years ago, whenever they came on Netflix. And so I watched this one with my son who was, uh, seven, seven at the time. And, and, when Lincoln came on the screen, we laughed out loud like it was terrible and ridiculous. I mean, we laughed. We laughed at it like, oh, my God, that's stupid. Um, so I understand the feeling, but I can tell you also at the same time, when Lincoln comes on screen now, I cry. I think it's amazing, and I love it. And I think it's the thought of him viewing it in the Gettysburg term, viewing that every soldier on on the North or South, not only being his uh, constituent, but almost like his child, and him thinking of it as his final duty to get every one of his citizens to heaven uh, as the ultimate father figure uh, destroys me. Hmm. So, uh, I hear you. I, I, I sound like, what do you mean? I understand exactly what you mean. I used to laugh out loud, but now I cry. All right. Well, if it if it helps you, 
Wayne. I, I I still I still feel cringy. This very last time I watched it with with my kid and my wife, uh, I did I did have a little bit of a tear. But I've been watching Twilight Zone all day, so maybe uh, maybe that's part of it. Um, but How old your kid? He's 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 just about to turn seven. Oh, okay. Well, maybe he had the same reaction as as my son, that, yeah. who I think literally said, "Oh my god." He, he, he was actually like, "Who is that?" Like it's, it's, Abe, it's Abe Lincoln. He's like, "Where's his hat?" <laughs> like, and like, just wait, just wait a second, and then then he puts on the hat. He's like, "Oh, now I recognize him." Man, that guy, man, <laughs> that actor who, by the way, he has like no credits. I like, I looked him up once. He was like in another movie, like you know, Bikini Girls from Neptune Six is like the only other credit he has, and uh, he's fucking perfect. <laughs> he looks great, and that performance is amazing, amazing. It's and and the way it's shot is perfect. The way, the way she slowly like the camera pans and slowly moves to include him in the frame. God, it's just perfect, just perfect. It is. Hey uh, Wayne, let, let me let me switch gears. Uh, and I ask everybody when they when they come on the show, hey, uh, what do you rate this episode? Out of whatever scale you choose. Um, well, you know what? I give this one a 10. Um, and by the way, I had a fight on my show last week with a, a guy named Arlen Schumer, who's written a book about the Twilight Zone, but mostly from a visual perspective. And uh, I gave an episode a 10, and then I had criticisms of it. And he thought, how dare, me, how dare I have any criticisms of something I rated 10? But I got to tell you, I don't think there are, even though it's one of the greatest shows in the history of television... I really don't think there's any such thing as a perfect episode of any Twilight Zone. I can find flaws with any of them, and finding flaws does not deprive me of my joy. Uh, so I give this one, despite a few flaws, a 10. Unbelievable. How can you give anything a 10 when there's flaws? I, I agree with Harlan Schumer on this. Arlen, yeah. I agree. Well, I, I mean, I, you know, I hear his point, but... I, di- I disagree. I disagree. I, I mean, it's... Rating scales are subjective, so you can rate well, things I mean, however the hell you it's, want. It's the medium too. It's television. There are television breaks. Like five characters in search of an exit is almost perfect, but he had but he had a rule. He had, he had like TV breaks, right? And you can't end on a downer. You need them to come back from like the toilet bowl com- commercial. So like so like there's this over the top monologue in the middle of the episode where Will Weldon is like. I just realized where we are. It's simple. It's perfectly simple. It's perfectly obvious. We're in hell. Da, da, da. Commercial break. And then they have to like build it back up when they come back. It's not organic. It doesn't flow correctly. It breaks the normal flow. What am I going to say? Rod Sterling, you're a fucking hack. I'm like, no, Rod Sterling's trying to keep his show on the air. He had to end on a high point. He had to kind of futz with it a little bit. It made it less than perfect. It's still one of the greatest things that's ever happened on television. Yes, going into the commercial break, it, I mean, that's really where the twist medium comes into play, right? Because yeah. basically the commercial break is a twist ending every time to get to get people interested in coming back. Right. Especially nowadays. I hear you. Uh, all right. What do you give it? Uh, I give it. Uh, I give it a seven and a half out of ten. Well, fuck you and die. <laughs> uh, because unlike you, I can really enjoy an episode. Give it a, a above average rating and find flaws in it. 
But is 7.5 above average? That's like a C. Yeah, well, okay. An average would be in the middle. So like oh, five. Oh, so seven? Oh, you're saying five, but five is like a failing grade. It's like if you got a 50 well, on a not, test, you fail. Well, no, it's not. I mean, what is it? All are, right. So you're, this doesn't correspond to like a hundred. Uh, gr- okay. 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 No, I no. gotcha. I gotcha. I mean, you got a different could, scale. You could have said like 10 out of 10 uh, dead people walking down a road. All right. Well, give, it a, give it a letter grade. I give it an A+. Plus. Okay. I, I, give it, I give it a B. Okay. I, well, again... That's a better grade than I thought you were giving it. But again, respectfully, I'll, I'll change it fuck to off and die. I'll change it to, I'll change it to eight. I'll lift okay, it up to eight. Okay, all right. Well, then just fuck off. In respect Don't to die. you. <laughs> fuck off and live a long and prosperous life of fucking off. When I, when I die and I'm walking down a road, I'm going to remember this. this die of natural causes, <laughs> but fuck off. And, and hopefully, hopefully you're the last casualty of the Twilight Zone grading scales. Uh, I'm, I'm laughing on the inside. I got you. Good, 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 good. It's good. a good, it's a good reference. I'm just I'm using all my uh, power <laughs> to not wish ill upon you for uh, giving it under a nine. That's fine. It's fine. it's okay. Mo- this is no one's favorite episode, and I don't really know why. Well, uh, I, I will say the more you watch it, the better it gets. I've watched I've watched it in preparation for this at least four times. All right, all right, all right. All right. Well, I bet you, but you, but you used to give it a five. Yeah, that's it's true. Actually, before I I put it unrated. It was it was in the bargain bin at, at Walmart. <laughs> Wait, let me ask you this out of nowhere because yeah. we had this fight on my podcast. Our <laughs> uh, Arlen Schumer uh, said there was only two episodes of the hour longs that he could abide, and uh, and uh, we and I said I kind of agreed with him, and we both agreed that one of the two best was uh, Thursday on Thursday we leave for home. Which I think is the best hour long. But what are you? What are your two favorite hour longs? Uh, you know, I'm I'm particular to uh, Printer's Devil. Oh, which hey, is, we, which we did on my show talk- with you, and you. Well, I think that one is good. I think it's a. I think it's a solid episode. I think it works. I think it's one of the better hour longs. Uh, and I can I can abide it. It's not my top two though. Yeah. Uh, so Printer's Devil. And uh, I I'm also particular towards Death Ship. Oh my god. Yeah. That's what he said. <laughs> I think Death Ship is one of the worst episodes of the Twilight Zone ever. Ever. It makes no well, fucking sense. Yeah, it I mean, makes this is no oh. fucking sense. <laughs> you should listen to my last podcast where I just tool on it with Mike Wiebe. It makes no fucking sense. All right. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'll put a link to that one in the show notes. Uh, okay. This is the last thing I have for this episode, Wayne. And it's the it's a game I don't have a title to. I don't know why it's choose your own ending to this yeah. episode adventure. Uh, well, if you were to, if you were to change the ending, Wayne, how would you change the ending? And you have to change the ending. Okay. Okay. Well, first of all, I do think the ending is perfect. And I think there were a lot of episodes that I like where the ending isn't perfect, but this, ep- I, I'm going to change it. Don't worry. I know how to play the game, <laughs> but let me just tell you first why I think the episode is perfect. Two beautiful performances. <laughs> Beautiful score. Audience slowly realizing things. And if I didn't say this before, let me say it now. <laughs> Fuck off and die. Okay. So so later, er, earlier, like, what's this, like, uh, ennobling of the South, right? They seem so perfect. In fact, like, um, even the soldiers, like, I'm tired of all this bloodshed. These are boys on both sides getting maimed and the murder of Mr. Lincoln. And I'm like... Well, does Southern soldier really give a fuck about, you know, Abraham Lincoln being shot? You know, that's kind of like hard to believe, um, which, again, is another small criticism of the episode that I gave a 10. When 
when Lincoln appears at the end of this, she is not like, oh, my dear, it's the president. Let me put on a pie. She's like, it's a fucking piece of shit. That's not Jefferson Davis. That's the guy who's responsible for my husband's death. She looks at him like the enemy, which I think is amazing. One, it's more realistic than what the other soldiers were doing. Two, it gets more of that realism that you felt was missing in the romanticism. Uh, And she's almost repulsed by him, uh, even when he's so nice to her. And... She doesn't let him lead him into the afterlife. He wants to take her by the hand and guide her. Are you staying behind, my dear? And he helps her up. She almost runs in fear from him to her husband, waiting for him at waiting for her at the gates of heaven. So it is a perfect fucking ending. But if I had to change it, okay. I would be very much. By the way, in this on your show, do you play this game too? Uh, I do, yeah. Because I think I'm going to steal your ending. No, because prob- I think you're going to have the same ending. Probably not. Because based on your synopsis, <laughs> your synopsis was a woman who who. What was your synopsis again? <laughs> oh, oh, you want me to read it again? Yeah. Uh, by the way, head out to Twitter and let Wayne know if his is better than mine. Uh, I wrote, "A woman has a hard time letting grief That's pass right. her by." This is why I think I'm going to rip off your ending because I think that is, I think you really get at something important there. A woman has a hard time letting go of her hatred, and she almost doesn't do it. In fact, it's almost like the fear and the revulsion at Lincoln that leads her screaming down the path to the waiting arms of her loving husband. So I think the only other way to go with a different ending is to just she's just sa- she's saved just by the skin of her teeth, and the only other ending possible would be like no. She she has too much hate. She has too much fear. She has too much pain, and she runs into the house and locks herself in this other, this nether world of neither living nor dead, never reaching the promised land of heaven because she is just consumed too much by hatred and fear. And Lincoln and everyone else walks on to heaven without her. That's that's a that's a solid way to go. I, I, I dig that. That's not that's not what I chose, oh, but all right, that, that is actually very, very good. I, I like Thank that. Thank you. Um, uh, I wrote, my ending is far less serious <laughs> um, right. because the line, the line gets me uh, that Abraham Lincoln considers himself, in some ways, the last casualty of the Civil War. Right. And so, so my, my, my really terrible ending is that there's really another guy walking up the road after Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln, and he says, actually, technically, I am the last man. Uh, and it's John Jefferson Williams, who was a Union soldier and uh, is generally recognized as the last soldier killed in the American Civil War. You can look it up on Wikipedia. <laughs> and that's the twist ending everyone wanted from this. Yeah, actually, uh, <laughs> and he's raising like one finger in the air. Actually, technically, uh, uh, and he's like, "Oh well, I'm sorry, son. Uh, you you go right ahead. No, no, I'll go last. No, no, I, I as commander in chief should make sure that everyone get. No, 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 I'm last. I got to be last. You took my life. Don't take this from me, honest Abe. This is mine. This is it mine. Is honest to Abe, right? I mean, there's nothing honest about saying you're the last when you died three days before. And also, wait, 
Forgive me, were you a soldier? You weren't, right? You were, wait, I died an Antietam from sepsis, and you died were at the fucking opera. And and Abe just sheds a single tear. And, and that and uh, we fade to black. Yeah. That's that, uh, that that's yeah. it. That also that yeah, that that works too. They're both solid endings. <laughs> Uh, all right. And so now we, now your fans have to wait like 18 weeks before you fucking put this online while you interview two other people. Hell yeah. To do the episodes because you have to go chronologically because you're I'm nothing if not consistent. <laughs> God. Uh, hey, this is a really good episode. Yeah, it is. It, I feel really bad for everyone who's waiting for it. It is a good episode, Wayne. Uh, and, you know, for all those folks who, who waited so, so diligently for this magnificent piece of art, uh, I want them to have a chance to know you and and be able to talk, uh, well, not talk to you. Well, but I don't hear, really talk to people because I'm very famous, as we established hear, earlier. Hear from you. So, Intangible Quarter, you, your, your version of, I mean, <laughs> my my pale imitation. <laughs> Wait, by the way, how many how many episodes have you done now of your podcast? I don't know, two seasons. So a little but over, a little over seventy. <laughs> Over seventy, yeah, I've yeah. done thirty-eight episodes of mine, so so I'm catching up on you. Though. You are. You will be caught up to me by the end of the year. I'm. I'm, I'm except that. Except that I think I'm. I'm. I'm winding mine down. Oh, you got to move on. Yeah, I. I know you're probably you've got million a uh, million to million point six uh, listeners per podcast, but I don't give or take. Uh, and uh, I think it's because people who like the Twilight Zone are um what's the word i'm looking for old and uh i don't think they listen to podcasts because i don't think they uh, know what they are uh and uh, uh or maybe mine just sucks i don't know but i i'm not getting the kind of uh feedback i was hoping for so i'm gonna slowly taper intangible quarter off i probably won't be doing it at quite as frenetic a rate because i was doing about four or five episodes a month oh, damn uh, and um I'm going to try to hold on until the Jordan Peele reboot. Although, actually, Alex Rubens of the reboot doesn't like it called a reboot. He says he would like it to be known as, like, season six of The Twilight Zone. Oh, there's a there's a concept. So he just thinks of it as more Twilight Zone, not a reboot. He wants to keep it in the spirit of The Twilight Zone. So we'll see uh, how good a job they do of doing that. And then if people still... Uh, if the kids today are still not tuning into Twilight Zone podcasts... And then I might just, I might just give up. Oh, well, well, you sh- definitely hold off for the Jordan Peele ones. Hold, hold, hold on till I would say. Um, yeah. You, you say you talked to Alex Rubens. Uh, I, how, how did that conversation go? Uh, I, not well. I know they, I know they can. I know my listeners will now go and flock to listen to it. But, well, uh, they have but, to join my Patreon, you know, give, give them a uh, taste. to hear the full episode. But, you know, if you pay four bucks, you get access to everything. Not four dollars an episode. Four dollars, you've got everything. You could listen to everything in a month. Um, it was um, it was very good. He was very gracious with his time. And he, um, he uh, um, I, I, I'm a bad host because I... Uh, Sometimes I get too excited and I interrupt my guests too much. I didn't do that to Alex because um, he gets too excited and he interrupts himself. So, <laughs> so that was the fun thing about him. He had, but but I mean that in the most endearing way because he he's clearly wildly intelligent, and so he had just so many thoughts going on, 
uh, and he just poured forth with them. And it was, uh, I was very flattered he did it, very honored, and uh, yes, I think it was a very good episode, and we did a world of his own. Okay. Which we both realized is a deceptively dark and evil and terrifying episode. <laughs> Uh, uh, how how can people go out and and find the Intangible Quarter and your Patreon? Well, Intangible Quarter, free, some some free episodes and partial episodes are available wherever podcasts aren't sold. <laughs> meaning they're on iTunes and Stitcher and everything. You can get get it for free. And if you want to get the full episodes, you just become a member of my Patreon. Which is www.www.www.www. Uh, and then you subtract the number of W's until there's only three W's. Patreon.com slash W Gladstone. Hey, yo. What, what, and uh, $4 gets you access to every single uh, podcast, every single video, every single comedy writing, every single short story. So for four dollars a month, you get everything. For two bucks, you get some stuff. For three bucks, you get more stuff. But for four bucks a month, everything. you get absolutely everything. Shoot the works or mainline, as we call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what and what can we expect from Wayne Gladstone in in the future? Well, I'm glad you asked that, Brian. <laughs> um, I owe my agent a novel that was due um today. <gasps> it's not done. Um. I do have about 50,000 words of a 60,000-something word novel, so it's, you know... That's close. We're in striking distance. That's that's, but, that's uh, about called, what I uh, rated this episode, so that's good. It's uh, called The Perversity of Thieves, and as my agent likes to call it, it is The Breaking Bad of Catfishing. <laughs> so it's about uh, corporate crime and catfishing... But small-time catfishing crime and large-scale white-collar corporate crime and how the two worlds intersect in 2009. Takes place 10 years ago. Oh, all right. Yeah, so you're like a punk 20-something kid in it. <laughs> uh, just listening to Cracked and having big dreams. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, all, we're all going back to that one place in our, in our life. It takes place right after the Great dis- the Great Depression. No, well, really, our Great Depression takes place right there when the market had fucking hit the fan. Yeah. Because uh, like it's big basically... Like short time. Yes. It's, uh, it is a uh, f- filthy, funny leftist novel because I am a dirty leftist. <laughs> you, are, you are all those adjectives. That's... Yes. Well, awesome, man. Uh, so you, you're supposed to turn that in. I mean, you're supposed to turn that in today, which if you, you were listening well, to I this. Mean, I was supposed to actually turn it in in the summer. And I'm like, I need more time. He's like, oh, we'll touch back at the beginning of the year. I was like, I'll have it done. Well, so we'll see. if you're listening to this episode right now, uh, just know that uh, a day was a couple months back. um and oh right yeah by the time you finally put this on the air it could it could be done and and very well especially if i take like a writer vacation like on a long train trip or something yeah oh yeah with a dictaphone i like writing on trains no i don't write into a dictaphone like (laughs) serling only psychopaths do that that's crazy and rod serling but i i do like writing on trains very much 90 percent of my first novel was written exclusively on a train because i used to be taking the long island railroad every day at that time that's crazy so uh, I had two hours to write every day, which is why it was easier to write. Uh, now, when I uh, drive 15 minutes uh, each way in my car, there's getting there's no writing getting done there. And then once you get home, it's hard. 
because you're home. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I like riding in bars. Do you, uh, maybe, maybe if instead of driving to work, you just, uh, take an Uber and then have them take you the long way. <laughs> yeah. So, so if I sold the book for $30,000, <laughs> I'd break even in Uber money. Yeah. 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 Or, or, you know, just every time you take an Uber, say like, Hey, can you give me a discount? Uh, I'll, I'll put you as a, <laughs> as a reference in the book. But you know, the I'm in the part of the book that takes place at Cornell University, and uh, my son's friend uh, just got into Cornell University. Oh wow! And he asked me to work his friend into the novel. God, this is this is why it's good to have a creative family. And he see, and, and I see, I go. Well, there are some Cornell students in here in, in the novel, but they're super dorky. He's like perfect. <laughs> <laughs> It's like give one of them my friend's name. I'm like, all right, that sounds good. We'll do. Nailed it. And they play League of Legends in their off time. Well, you know, there's a real thing at Cornell. Um, uh, uh, my second year at Cornell, I I stayed uh, in the dorm was called Risley, and it's shaped kind of like a castle. It has like a parapet. It's kind of weird. And it was for the it was for the nerds. It's a weird con- con- congregation of uh, nerds, uh, losers. Uh, weirdos, uh, gay community, musicians, artists, and then strangely architects. But it was, the oh. architects only the architects only stayed there because they were. Um, it was the dorm closest to the architectural building, and they worked like twenty four seven. So they just needed some place to stumble home to, go to sleep, and then then go back to work in the architect lab or whatever the hell they did. So it was it was a, a collection of outcasts uh, of every kind, and and what and I liked that very much i i was part of the music contingent but um to give you an idea of the kind of wonderful losers we were with risley um uh, there was a contingent of students there who um made their own armor and then would joust on the lawn all right all right <laughs> that's so did, but they didn't have any horses so they just ran at each other I guess I have to find out. I mean, I was there and I saw it, but I have to, I have to, I have to check this memory with other friends of mine. They definitely made their own armor, you know, like piecemeal chain meal yeah. shit. And yeah, then they would just beat each other with the sticks, <laughs> which is no lamer than kids at other colleges pay, playing like Quidditch, right? Or whatever that Harry Potter game is. And I'm not making fun of them. I'm saying no, this with tremendous amount no- of endearment. These were some of my favorite people. Uh, in the university, there's no shame because that 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 making armor is not an easy thing to do. That's not an easy hobby. I, yeah, I don't get it. So I decided, and the whole book does not take place at Cornell, but at one point it's at Cornell, and I thought if I'm gonna have a part of my book take place at Cornell, I've got to get the Risley Knights into this book. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what the part that I'm writing right now. That's fantastic. Well, and that one of them will be have my son's friend's first name. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, uh, I need uh, everyone who picks up the book, which because everyone will, because uh, perversity of thieves. Because if you're if you're listening to this, uh, there is a signal that m- is forcing you to go buy it. Um, needs to be on the lookout for your your son's friend's name, uh, mm-hmm. and but they won't know what it is because I'm not going to say it out loud. Right. I'm not going to say it either, so I can deny it later if he tries to like sue me or something, and I can keep doing that phrase about. Uh, <laughs> Any similarity to living characters is completely fictitious. Yes. Oh, man. That's why I want to be a writer, just so I could use that. I will say in my first book, which came out, which was written in 2011, 
and was published in 2014, uh, the phrase "fuck Trump" appears, and that was uh, before he was president. Whoa, so. you're a uh, you're a Simpsons kind of guy. I'm prescient, yeah, <laughs> I think is the word. Fantastic word, fantastic. Um, all right, well, well, Wayne Gladstone. It is time for us to go, but uh, right. I, I want to I want to say again thank you so much for for coming on the show talking about uh, the passersby, mm-hmm. uh, which I got right the first time. I'm sure everyone noticed. No, that. you got it. You, you you were just many times wrong until I corrected you. Everyone got it, and I hope everyone who <laughs> considers you an authority in the Twilight Zone loses complete faith on you and abandons your podcast for mine. I'm so I'm sincerely hope that's the case, and by sincerely I mean not at all. And, uh, but still, thank you for coming on the show and correcting me and ruining no my problem. life. Thank you, Brandon. I had a great time. And I had a great time when you did my show. And please, uh, I'm, I'm booked up for like ugh, the next eight shows, but, uh, you should, you should, um, pick a bad episode. You did a good episode. You didn't, well, that's not true. You did an hour long episode. Let's do Death so- Ship. <laughs> I already did Death Ship. <laughs> so I already you did an hour long. So for your next one, you either have to do a good one or a really bad one. Okay. 30 minute ones. I like to get, you know, a sampling. I like a guest to do a good one, a bad one, and an hour long. So you've done the hour long. So there you go. All right. I'll get, I'll get back to you with a bad one. Good. All right. Well, uh, so thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk to you later. And that, of course, was my guest, old Wayne Gladstone. I have a nasty habit of thanking my guest dozens of times for being on the show, and rightfully so. Really, they are fantastic people to have around, and I couldn't be more thankful to have them help me out. If you want to get a hold of the show, there's a few things that you can do to do that. You can, of course, hit me up on Facebook, facebook.com slash S4YA podcast, Instagram, if you're interested in that, S4YA underscore podcast, Twitter, S4YA underscore podcast, email S4YA podcast at gmail.com. And of course, you can hit this episode up and any of our previous episodes, not only on iTunes, not only on Stitcher or Spotify. Oh, I don't know. It's about Spotify, but you can go to our website apatheticenthusiasm.com slash submitted dash for dash your dash approval or just go to the main site there's a link there and all that good stuff until next time thank you again everybody for listening and i'm brandon cruz this is submitted for your approval